Hello, welcome to Remember When. I'm Carl Schulteis, President of the King of Prussia Historical Society, and I'll be your host for this television series. Upper Marion Government Access TV and the Historical Society are continuing this series as an oral history project of life and community in Upper Marion Township. In their own words, we want the people who live the history of Upper Marion Township to tell us about that history. This edition features Tom Hobson. Tom's father owned and operated the Peacock Garden, which is currently Pizzerina Uno at North Gulf Road and 202. Tom talks about the Peacock Garden when his father purchased it in 1947 and operated it for the next 20 years. Let's sit back and listen to Tom Hobson remember when. Your family was part of the Peacock Garden. And I wonder if you could, uh, let's go back to your earliest uh, remembrances here. Uh, where were you born? Right in the Peacock Garden? No, I was born in Wayne, and uh, my father was born in Wayne, and his father, no, his father came from Ireland. But uh, uh, he was a lifelong resident of Wayne, so am I. But uh, he uh, had a grocery store in Wayne, and uh, <clears throat> it was in the family. Well, it's still, I own it now, but it operated as a grocery store for 80 years. My grandfather started in uh, 1901, and he was also a rural mailman. First, uh, my grandfather was the first rural mailman in Wayne, and he delivered mail on horse and buggy. <laughs> He retired in 1936. My father took over the store and the mail route, and the mail route used to cover half of King of Prussia. We got out there in Henderson Road. The ones on Bridgeport side were Bridgeport RFD. The ones on King of Prussia side was Wayne RFD, and it used to cover all the way up to the uh, music fair and down to Radnor train station, uh, over to Wayne to the military academy and. Uh, into King of Prussia as far as Billy Walker's farm. When we took over Peacock, uh, Miss Lily Armstrong was the male, <laughs> she was the postmistress, and uh, she had a great big old 1939, I think, Packard, and she used to go pick up the mail with that. And the, the post office was part of her living room that was cordoned off and there were boxes, you know, there were, I don't think there were more than 50 families in all King of Prussia then. And I'm talking about back in 47. So my father bought the restaurant in 47. Uh, it had, somewhere along the way, it had become the property of uh, Mrs. Wilson, who owned Maplecroft Dairies. And there were probably more cows in the township than there were people. <laughs> you looked out the bar at our place, that's all you saw was pasture and cows. Uh, anyhow, the, uh, uh, she had leased it out and each lessee run it further into the ground, you know. By the time my father bought it, it was, you know, just a tavern along the highway that did hardly anything. It was more like shot and beer business. <laughs> I don't think they served hardly any dinners the first week, but uh, he built the business up over the years to one of the more popular spots on the main line. And the guy who um, converted it into a restaurant and a nightclub back during Prohibition, his name was Howard Mecky. He also 
uh, converted or uh, an old barn to the covered wagon in Stratford, Lancaster Pike, and the, the Conestoga Mill in Bryn Mawr. And all three places had uh, outdoor terraces, which eventually, uh, with the Conestoga Mill, which is now that Yang Ming restaurant, and the covered wagon, the outdoor terraces were eventually became part of the the main dining room, whereas ours was separated from the building. And uh, when the turnpike came through, they took away our parking lot. And eventually, we had to do away with the uh, thing because you had. Well, in June, you had Friday and Saturday nights. You know, we had the band outside, and there was a band stand out there and and dancing and so forth. And uh, in June, it was too cool for the girls, you know, so they'd all want to go inside. Uh, you know, they'd come out with summer wear on. And uh, so July and August, you had uh, eight, 16 possible nights. and. Out of those 16, you'd get some of those, uh, uh, you know, some showers or something, and God, we'd have to run out there, the busboys and waitresses and everything, get the dirty tablecloths that you'd throw in a pile and run out there and uh, wipe off all the tables and mop up the dance floor and spread that uh, powdered wax around, because the band would be coming. You get like a shower, it'd last 20 minutes, you know, but it'd soak the place. So uh, for the number of nights you got out there, it wasn't worth it to keep it, although it was great for weddings receptions, because we used to do two or three wedding receptions every weekend, bowling banquets and class reunions and so forth. And uh, my sister's wedding was, had 350. And we had uh, our chief of police, Johnny Boyle, the first cop in the township, was an ex-state cop. Uh, he, uh, some time later, was uh, president of the Police Chiefs Association, and uh, he brought their annual meeting to uh, Philadelphia, and of course they had to find something for the wives to do, so they had tours of Valley Forge for 500 police chiefs' wives. <laughs> Thank God it didn't rain. <laughs> if we had to put them inside, we'd have had to put some upstairs and some downstairs. But um, uh, Johnny Boyle also uh, had some notoriety. He was the next state cop. And uh, uh, back in 47, it was just him. And on weekends, uh, Nels Camel would help out. Nels Camel was a constable, and he had a little uh, I guess you'd call it a convenience store uh, right opposite the old Upper Marion High School at uh, Gulf Road and Henderson. And uh, on weekends, he would, you know, patrol around the township. But Johnny uh, had, uh, he was in uh, Police Gazette, which is a, you know, nationwide publication. Uh, solving a, uh, a murder here to happen in the township. Getting back to the, the Peacock the building. Window, the, uh, describe it as, at the time. Uh, I can remember when, in about 1948 or 49, uh, I used to take my date out there. And that was sort of... Uh, yeah, it was uh, like a Hawaiian design with the straw mat on the wall. And uh, 
anyhow, eventually they did away with that and got John Pierce from Kimberton, who used to do all the DuPont family portraits. Uh, he painted all the murals in there in 58 when they remodeled. They put Knotty Pine up and then he had murals between each window and behind the bandstand. And uh, there was one of uh, General Lafayette, another one of uh, Von Steuben training the troops at Valley Forge. Mm -hmm. And I asked him, I said, how come you don't have any battle scenes in there? He says, you didn't study your history, did you? <laughs> he says, this was a retreat. <laughs> so he had his son go up and model in, uh, con in uh, Continental uniforms up mm -hmm. at Valley Forge. And uh, it was uh, quite a thing. Then when Mr. Rons took it over, they took all the murals down. And I don't know, they were stored somewhere up there. And when this guy took it over for Pizzeria Uno, uh, he bought all the contents, so he has them somewhere there. And uh, I would like to get a hold of one of them, uh, see if he'll sell me one of them so I can put it in the recreation room. But anyhow, uh, this, uh, when, in 47, when we got it, the second floor was living quarters. And as I said, Mrs. Wilson leased it out and uh, the, my father did away with the living quarters and made uh, uh, several banquet rooms up there. And then in 58, when he remodeled and enlarged the bar and added the cocktail lounge, uh, they put another banquet room up there to seat, I think, 125 or 150. I was up in the attic looking around. I saw those flyers. Uh, of those houses that Mecky built in Colonial Village. And I saw these placards uh, that were about three foot square or so showing what uh, band is appearing there tonight, you know? And I was looking through them, God, I should have kept it. I don't know, the only one I recognized was Tommy Dorsey. And this is back when those guys were doing one night stands around the country doing college dances and picking up anything else they could, you know, right. along the way. And uh, my father told me that uh, Cab Calloway played their opening night. Uh, my parents were going together and they couldn't afford to go in in those days, uh, but they used to sit outside in the parking lot and listen to the music. That's what he told me. Um, my parents got married in 1929, but, um, the building, like I said, was uh, on the second floor was uh, living quarters, which we did away with. Uh, Mecky, Howard Mecky, he lived up on 202, which was then Swedesford Road, up about halfway, about up there where uh, that insulation place is, those big office buildings. Right. He had a, a house that looked like uh, Mount Vernon, uh, you know, with the big pillars and so forth out there. Uh, and he, uh, <laughs> he uh, was into the Wayne Bank. The Wayne Bank failed uh, in the, the crash in 29. He lost everything. And he was into them for quite a bit in the Wayne Bank field. And uh, so he made a fortune, lost it, and made a fortune again. And uh, I understood he died 
not that well off. Uh, everybody told my father, you know, Tom, you're going to lose your shirt, you know, because it was just a tavern out on the highway, and it was, the business was really run down. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a year later, the turnpike comes through, and everybody says, geez, Tom, how'd you know? <laughs> <laughs> we didn't know. Actually, it hurt us for a while because uh, they had to close 202 while they widened it. Right. And uh, so our trade was like 50% local and 50% uh, travel trade. And then he catered to all the uh, service clubs, uh, the Kiwanis and the Rotary and so forth, the JCs and the Lions Club. The Bridgeport Upper Marion Lions, uh, when they formed, they didn't have, neither Bridgeport nor Upper Marion had enough members to, I think you had to have 20 to be, uh, to form a, a chapter or whatever you call it. And uh, uh, so they joined together and they used to meet six months in Bridgeport at Friendship Grill and six months at Peacock. And, um, you know, like half of them were from Upper Marion, half of them were from Bridgeport. People came there to see Tom Hobson, you know, he's a, uh, uh, I don't know how you describe him. Uh, he had that personality that everybody came there, uh, you know, and he, he just was very outgoing. Do I recall there were actually peacocks there? Yes. Uh, they had, they served dinners out on the lawn with those big round umbrella tables that would seat eight, and we did it first. Mm -hmm. Uh, those showers would come and the waitresses and the customers would be scrambling to go inside, you know, and the waitresses would be getting their food to take it inside and so forth. So we did it for a couple of years, uh, dining and dancing under the stars and all that. Uh, but they did, when Mecky had it, they did have live peacocks walking around the grounds there. And the place was enclosed with these ewes that, uh, Y-E-W-S, yeah. the, the ones that grow straight up, right. and they were all very close together, and then they might have had a wire fence inside of that to keep them from getting out. But uh, the uh, Food and Drug Administration <laughs> wouldn't allow that today. I guess that's who uh, governs uh, restaurants. Right. I don't know. I know we used to have a, a guy from the health department come around once a year or so to inspect. Uh, but they did have live peacocks. Yeah. How long did, how long, uh, did your dad have the uh, peacock? From forty-seven to sixty-five. To sixty-five. Till the end of sixty-four, the other people took over in January or so forth, uh, something like that in sixty-five. Uh, and then, in, uh, did they they continued to run it as the Peacock Garden? No, they changed the name to Peacock Inn. Oh, I see. And they were that was Blaine Scott, who was later township commissioner, right. and Bernie Waldman. So Bernie more or less ran the place, and my father bought it for twenty-five thousand. He sold it. I made a good living off it uh, for almost twenty years, and he sold it for three fifty. Because the competition was coming in the Charlotte and the Hilton, right. and so on, and he figured, who needs this, you know? Right. And uh, so he retired, and. Um, Bernie and uh, Bernie and Blaine Scott. I don't know how long they had it, but uh, I don't think they had it more than ten years or so. And they turned around, and sold it for seven hundred thousand to Mr. Rons. Mr. Right. Rons 
had, uh, he was related to Danny of Danny's Diner over there in Bridgeport, right. nephew or something, and he had the place in Bluebell called Mr. Right. Ron's, yeah. and he had one out there in, I think, Washington Square, and uh, then this one. And I don't know, uh, I don't think he did too well, because I'd go by on a Saturday night and see five or six cars, you know, and normally you could buy there now, and any time of the day, and they're full, they, they do a big turnover. But uh, I was watching the real estate transfers in the paper, I figured, boy, Pizzeria Uno, when they bought it from him, they must have uh, paid a million for it, you know? Think, boy, we should have held onto that building. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, one of our, my, we, we used to go uh, to dinner a lot. My mother liked to go to dinner at uh, Mile Post Inn in Stratford, which was right across the, the highway from uh, the covered wagon, right. which is now that John Harvey right. brew house. And the Mile Post was torn down. It was lamp post in the old days. Right. And uh, one of our waitresses was working there, and I was telling her that I was watching the real estate. I said, I never did see how much Pizzeria Uno paid for it. And she said, no. She said, they, the, Mr. Ron sold them the contents, and he leased the building to them for 10000 a month. I said, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> OK. <laughs> I don't know what that ground's worth today. Well, uh, GE, they, they bought Strawhacker's Farm for $1,000 an acre. <laughs> Now it probably cost them a hundred thousand an acre. Yeah, you're right. Hey, he took. The, he was uh, that Strahger family was from. I don't know if it was West Virginia or not, but uh, they gave you the impression that the, the hillbilly type, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, he took the money and ran. You know, it was a lot of money then. But uh, and back in. Uh, uh, I remember George Beck, he was in real estate and uh, he was township commissioner and everything. And he was trying to get nine guys together, put 100,000 each up to buy the golf course for uh, a million. And uh, his, his 100,000 would have been 10% commission, you know? Right. And never did swing it, but eventually it sold for a million, and then they sold again for four million. And God, I hate to think of how much it is now, how much it's worth now. But if they ever put housing developments in there, oh God, this, you wouldn't be able to drive anywhere in this township. That's right. I mean, uh, the, now you know, from like 50 families to, uh, well, I don't know what the population is in the township now. But heck. Uh, I don't think they got more police on a police force now than than they had families in the township then. I guess uh, even though Upper Marion includes Sweden and Swedesburg, that area was settled by Swedes, but this area was uh, by Welsh. And uh, when uh, Pauling's uh, descendants sold the place, uh, young Dr. Pullen had taken in a, uh, a young Dr. Miller as his uh, associate. And when young Dr. Pullen died, his children sold the place. And I don't know if Mrs. Wilson got it then or later, but um, 
young Dr. Miller moved his practice to Wayne, and in 1906 he brought my father into the world, and 1930 brought me in the world in the same bedroom in the same house of my grandparents' house. And uh, it was old Dr. Miller then. That was when they used to come to the house. Well, uh, like Dr. Pauling, I read something and they said uh, that they used to, like if they knew that uh, your wife uh, lived in Exton and uh, that she was due Next Wednesday, they would start out a day or two ahead of time, and they would stay at inns like the King of Prussia right. Inn. And they traveled like in the old Westerns uh, films, like the circuit judges did, you know? And they would uh, spend a lot of time on the road, I guess. <laughs> a lot of time in the inns. <laughs> but uh, they, they said that uh, old Dr. Pauling used to travel like that. And I, I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that he was the first general practitioner in either Upper Marion or Montgomery County, I don't know which, but probably uh, Upper Marion, not, I don't think it would include the whole county. Well, 1950, the Turnpike opened, and then they started on the Schuylkill Expressway. And uh, between, uh, what, 48 and 50, they were doing the turnpike, and of course that's when they widened 202 and they were going to tear the King of Prussia Inn down and the Historical Society fought it and they leased it to them for a dollar a year ever since, since 1950 or so. And the only problem is that it was just sitting there disintegrating. Uh, they, it's right in the middle of the highway. And so now that they you know, were supposed to have raised, a, I don't know, a million dollars or something to move it, now they can use it, uh, open it up. But uh, according to the president of Freedom Foundation that uh, Washington met with uh, Franklin there and uh, there were uh, British Tory spies. <laughs> you know, it was like, like uh, one of those independent uh, countries in World War II, you know, like Portugal or something. Lisbon was spies from both sides, you know. Uh, the other two businesses in King of Prussia uh, the other three businesses besides the King of Prussia Inn and the uh, Peacock Gardens were Mike Estock's garage, uh, he was right next to the King of Prussia Inn, and there was a little gas station, one of those two pump gas stations, followed by the name of Groff, who eventually moved up around, oh, up around, what is it, Indian River or something? Well, no, what do they call it? Indian? Indian Town Gap? No, no, no. Um, up near the Bettswood Bridge, up, oh. up that way. Oh, yes, I know what you're talking about. But he had a little two-pump gas station out there, and about where that mobile station is now. I think right. it's mobile. And then the one caddy corner from us, I believe his name was Camel. That's the guy who, he had an Atlantic station, and he wouldn't let the bulldozers on there until they settled, until the state settled with them. Um, but, and, and Golf Road was Route 23, or Alternate 23. Uh, further down, it became Conchahawken State Road, but it was still Alternate 23, and that was one of the normal ways of going into the city then, you know, before the expressway. Uh, and um, they, uh, Route 23 or Golf Road had a stop sign at 202. There were no traffic lights in 202. The rest of the township was uh, cornfields, tomato fields, 
soybean fields and pastures, cow pastures. That's it. <laughs> um, the fellow that built where Chili's is, uh, his home was there. I can't remember his name. His home was there. He tore his home down and built the restaurant and had a 99-year lease with Howard Johnson's. I don't know what they do when they don't keep it for 99 years. I don't know what they do in a case like that. But anyhow, then it became uh, something else, uh, Bob something or other, Bob's. Bob's big, uh, and, and now it's Chili's. But uh, uh, he built that restaurant. But the gas station was right next to it. And then the next business to come to the township was um, Johnny Wood's golf driving range, which is now up on Route 73. That was the next business. And then there was a guy by the name of Hatfield opened a hardware store on 202 about where the bridge over the expressway is now. Uh, of course, like I said, it was still two lane. Uh, no, it had been widened, but anyhow, he, the expressway wasn't there yet. And he sold it to Bob Lee. And Bob Lee, when the state took over that ground, he moved his hardware store down to, uh, was it Shoemaker Lane down there by uh, those uh, yes. apartments? I forget what yes. they call those apartments down there. Uh, I don't know whether Bob Lee's still there or not, but he's a direct descendant of Robert E. Oh, is he? Yeah. Let's see, then came, um, Doc Weissbaum had a drugstore where this mattress place is now and the ski thing. And then uh, a, a guy with a Polish name, blonde haired, big guy, Eddie somebody, had a barber shop right next to the drugstore. And uh, behind him, around behind him, there was like a little mom and pop grocery store. And I can't think of his name, but he had a couple sons who I believe were lawyers and, and got into the real estate business. They had that one uh, industrial park where on the other side of the expressway where the uh, used to be Westinghouse or GE bulbs in there. Uh, it, the entrance to it was off of Warner Road. Uh -huh. Down there along the railroad tracks there. Uh, can't think of the name. They also had uh, a development out on uh, Crooked Lane out around uh, where the trolley tracks are. Um, and then Roland Urbano lived right along 202 there. He had a dry cleaning shop and a little mom and pop grocery store. And then uh, the guy that had the mom and pop grocery store behind Doc Weissbaum's um, drug store, if you drive around the back there, uh, he uh, built that Valley Forge Tavern. And then later, Valley Forge Tavern became, uh, it was still Valley Forge Tavern, but uh, Johnny Kamuka. Johnny Kamuka was like the mater d' at, uh, some room uh, 
at uh, I think it was the St. James, no, Walnut Street Hotel, or I don't know what it's called, St. James Room or something, but I know Ella Fitzgerald used to play there whenever she came to Philadelphia, she always played there. And uh, then I remember seeing other uh, stars like uh, Dixieland Band, Muggsy Spanier, and uh, I can't think of the others, but anyhow. Uh, Jack Teagarden and those, but uh, the guy that owned that room, I forget what they called it, um, was one of the three owners of the Valley Forge Music Fair, and that's back when it was still a tent. Right. And uh, they tore that hotel down, so he wanted to do something for Johnny Kamuka, and he bought him the Valley Forge Tavern. And Johnny Kamuka had a son. Richie Kamuka, who uh, was a jazz musician, played with played with Ralph Flanagan. I don't know who else orchestra. Uh, I'm trying to think. Oh, and of course, back in '47, there was Miss Suplee's little place. It was a bus station. Sometime later, it was just a little house right there where the mattress place is now, just this side of it. Uh, that was her house, and like I said, part of her living room was the post office. Right. And then Jean Supply, the, the, the corner, you know where the adult bookstore right. was? Well, that was, Jean Supply had a rooming house there. And a lot of these guys who were working on the turnpike, the, who traveled with the jobs, you know, the right. bulldozer operators and crane operators and so forth, used to room there. And, um, uh, that was that was <laughs> that was king of pressure then. <laughs> it was nothing. We had one cop, uh, no stop sign. No, well, had some stop signs, but 202 had the right of way through. Uh, no traffic lights whatsoever. Um, then oh, um, they were when we took it over in '47. They were just starting. Uh, two housing developments. One was Brandywine Village, that was the first, mm -hmm. and they had no basement, just crawl space underneath, and uh, Valley Forge Homes. And I remember Valley Forge Homes were going for like 9,005, uh, no, 9,002 uh, or 9,750, depending on whether you had a one or two car garage and you know maybe fireplace was extra and uh they were uh gi's no money down and four and a half percent mortgage <laughs> and um you know everybody was starting to move out to the suburbs then and then came the industrial park first which was uh for years it was a uh they had these yellow signs, metal signs all around. It was a state game propagation area. Well, when they sold it to the uh, you know, Valley Forge Industrial Park, they opened it up that season for hunting. <laughs> it was like a civil war in there, you know? There was so many because there was all kinds of game in there. And uh, I used to hunt where the toll gate is now. I, I used to hunt pheasants and rabbits up there. But uh, I could walk from our house in Wayne uh, down to Peacock 
and cross only one road the whole way, <laughs> just going through farms and so forth. Uh, I used to, I remember one time I was hunting down around where uh, Valley Forge homes are, right. and it started warming up and I wanted to take uh, my outer flannel shirt off. I just took it off and put it under a bush there and picked it up on my way back. Uh, you know, there's nobody around, you know. It was just boondocks, really boondocks. And it was just uh, by luck that uh, the turnpike came through there. When they were going to Valley Forge, they leave, uh, you know, a group behind. What do you call them? Uh, pickets. Huh? Yeah, there was pickets there. And, uh, well, you know, picket post uh, restaurant. And it was also uh, Aaron Burr's headquarters at one time. And I read something about uh, when the British were coming, uh, they were going like hell to get out of there. And uh, this one author uh, uh, was riding <laughs> at high speed and he'd come to a fence and the horse wouldn't jump the fence and he went flying. And uh, finally he was able to coax the horse over the fence, but uh, they were in a hurry to get out of there. And evidently, the British made some skirmishes into Valley Forge. We had, like I said, 50% local trade, 50% traffic, travel trade. And uh, I found that these people from New England are so uh, conscientious about their national heritage, you know, because it all started up there in Lexington and everything. And when they know they're coming down here to visit Valley Forge Park, they read up on it ahead of time. And one time, there was a family in the dining room having dinner, and I was out in the bar, and the, the father comes out there and asked me if I could tell him how to get to General so-and-so's headquarters. I don't know whether it was, uh, you know, one of Washington's generals. Right. I can't think of it. Uh, I know it wasn't Knox, because I know where his headquarters is. And, you know, I'm like, you know, oh, I didn't know about Valley Forge Park. Uh, you know, when we were in high school, we used to take dates up there, and, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, and that was it. <laughs> uh, then he proceeds to tell me uh, about the Lenai Lenape Indians that settled this area, and also South Jersey, and how they had a village around Westchester, and it was always on the leeward side of a mountain near a stream, and how uh, in the uh, summertime, they would go north to Bucks County to hunt in order to keep the game plentiful around their own village for in the wintertime. And he said uh, that instead of uh, coming up that long uh, stretch of uh, highway, the Route 30, Lincoln Highway, up there past Immaculata and Villa Maria up into Paoli, uh, <clears throat> and then going down Bear Road, which is what, 252 now, you know, past Burroughs. Instead, they would cut out uh, Swedes Ford Road. And I forgot the Swedes Ford. And I never thought about Swedes Ford, you know, right. never, never dawned on me. He said they used to cross the river at the foot of Swede Street right. and go on out Swede Street and on out Old Arch Road and on up to uh, Bucks County. And they'd hunt up around Upper Blackhead. And here's a guy from Boston telling me this. You know, and I felt like this big. <laughs> After that, I got uh, you know interested in. And there used to be a column. I believe it was in the Times Herald. Uh, I don't know. I don't know for sure, but it was called Up and Down Montgomery County, and they would have a lot of good information in there uh, about local things, and uh, you know things like Hanging Rock and.
Oh, I don't know. This, uh, when I, I was in the JCs and uh, uh, we had as a guest speaker one time the president of Freedom Foundation. And uh, boy, there was a lot went on here, you know? We don't realize it, uh, you know, especially us that were born here and raised here, uh, just took it for granted. But these people up in New England, they're, uh, they're very much interested in it. Yeah, they did their homework. Yeah, they really do. Yeah. Uh, I went to uh, grade school at St. Catharines in Wayne, and I went to high school at Malvern Prep, yep. and then uh, Villanova. Let's see. And then I went in the Navy in uh, 1950 for four years. And uh, we, uh, my father sold it in it the end of 64, yeah. beginning of 65. You're, you're currently still in the grocery business? Or in the, in the no, that's rented. Uh, when my father uh, got the restaurant, he gave up the mail route, right. and he um, uh, turned the grocery store over to his brother, Fred. And Fred had it for, my Uncle Freddie had it for 10, 15 years, and he turned it over to his sister, my father's sister, Mary, and her husband, Ted. And uh, they had it until about 1980 when he had a stroke and had to retire. And ever since then, it was rented out for a long time as a, an antique shop. Mm -hmm. uh, this lady had a booth up at uh, Downingtown Farmer's Market. And they, she said she wanted a you know, place with more room and of her own. With antiques, you don't have to be in a mall or anything. People will come to you, you know, even if you're out in the boondocks. And, so they had it until they outgrew it, and it got, you know, wasn't big enough for them. And then it was rented out as a thrift shop, and uh, for a while, and until that lady retired, and now it's a barber shop. And then there's an apartment above it. Grandpa started in 1901. His father came here from Dublin, and. Back in the 1870s, 1880s, and uh, he was—I guess you'd call him a gardener—but uh, he specialized in uh, crossing flowers and making what do you call them? Uh, they can't re hybrids? reproduce, huh? Hybrids. Hybrids. Yeah, he was a hybridizer, <laughs> <laughs> and he was brought over here by. Edward Schmidt, son of Christian Schmidt, started the Schmidt's Brewery. And both Edward and his brother had big estates down in Radnor opposite each other. And of course, a lot of those estates had uh, their own greenhouses, and they'd have uh, you know, 10 or 12 gardeners, and they had upstairs and downstairs maids and chauffeurs and everything else. Uh, uh, you know, of course, they bring them over from Ireland, Scotland, and so forth, and uh, from Italy, and $10 a week or something back then, you know? And uh, so um, he had a big family, eight or nine kids. And uh, I, um, 
he had, I have a copy of uh, the results from the Royal Horticultural Flower Show, and uh, I think it was 1878, and uh, seems like my great-grandfather and this other guy who was like head gardener for some earl, and my great-grandfather was a head gardener for uh, some barrister over there in Dublin, and it was in the town of Blackrock, which is a suburb of Dublin. Between the two of them, they took all the first and sure. second prizes in rhododendrons and azaleas and tulips and everything else. And I have the results of it at home uh, that was given to me by my uncle. And uh, so Schmidt hired him. Now, uh, this McKegg, you have a McKegg uh, nature preserve right. or something. Uh, well, she's the granddaughter of Smith Klein French. She's the granddaughter of French. That was French's estate up there. Uh, and of course they built houses in there now, but the big house is still there. I think it was 40 rooms and 15 foot ceilings and so forth. And uh, she used to dress <laughs> early goodwill. <laughs> you wouldn't know she had all the money she had. And she had a, a chauffeur who comes out like once a week, takes her down to a lawyer's office in Philadelphia. And uh, she was living on a, uh, what do you call it, uh, from a state, you know, uh, so much. Uh, I guess they, you know, she just lived off the income from it, I guess. The place was loaded with antiques. And uh, she had a 1940 and a 41 Packard there. And uh, a guy that does our plumbing used to do hers. Right. And I used to take him over there once in a while. Uh, and she, um, uh, he told me that, uh, you know, that when she died, uh, the lawyer had him stay there on the estate for a few days. Uh, and uh, it was, uh, uh, he was telling me about how many, uh, antique dealers were coming from New York and everything else, you know, and I figured, oh, God, they're going to bid those Packers. I would love to have gotten one and, re uh, you know, uh, what do you call it? Uh, Ref re uh, refinish it? Yeah, I would love to have gotten one. It probably cost a fortune to do it, but they're worth a fortune. Um, and uh, I was surprised to find out that one went for 4000 and the other one went for 4500 <laughs> God, if that thing were, uh, what do they call it, re... Reconditioned? Yeah, if they were reconditioned over the, to the original condition, uh, I think they'd 100000 something like that. Yeah. I'd be glad to have back my old 37 <laughs> Chevy. <laughs> That's amazing what I used to do to abuse that thing. <laughs> well, Tom, we really appreciate you coming by and talking to us today. Yeah. And uh, it, was, it was interesting, your, your reminiscence. And uh, thank you very much. Nice talking to you. And uh, I think that uh, I, don't, I don't think anything in Chester County is ever going to be like it was. I don't, I don't know if there's any green areas left. But, uh, King of Prussia, God, I don't know. Uh, I went to school with a McClatchy 
couple of McClatchy's and their father built Upper Darby. That's right. And you, you see what happened there. Well, I think this is going to be another Upper Darby, or it is almost already. <laughs> That's it for this edition of Remember When. I'm Carl Schulteis, president of the King of Prussia Historical Society, and your host for this series of Upper Marion Township's Oral History. If you would like to make a suggestion or comment on this program, please use the following contact information. Thanks for watching. Until next time, and always, remember when.